Now today we're going to take a brief look at the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, but before we do that, we need to stop and take a moment to make sure that we don't get misled by our imaginations. We're going to spend a few moments discussing at a really basic and simplified level the difference between images in our imaginations and ideas in our intellect, the difference between being able to picture something in your mind and being able to understand something. It's really important, or otherwise it's easy to get misled. Obviously, we all know we're composite creatures. We have a body and our soul. Everybody knows that. You don't need me to tell you that. Because we have a body, we have senses. Our senses, sight, smell, touch, taste, and so forth, these things gather sensory information from the world around us, and then it comes together. It allows us to make contact with our surroundings. Obviously, I can see this a pulpit right here made out of wooden metal. But that sensory image comes together and produces an image in our mind. This is a pulpit, or that's a wall, or that's a picture of the sacred heart, and so forth. So we get these images in our mind. Now, I'm going to simplify all this for you uh, Thomistic philosophers. The place of images, the place where these pictures that we make in our mind that are based on the sensory information that we get from the outside, the place where those images remain or where those images are is the imagination. Okay? It's important for us to realize that our imagination makes pictures of material things, material things like this pulpit, like the wall, like an orange, like an apple, like blue moons or pink elephants or so forth. They're changeable material representations of things that we find in our imaginations. That's what our imaginations do. They're very important. Since we have bodies, they allow us to be in contact with the world. But remember, our imaginations make pictures of material things. Apples, this pulpit, pink elephants, blue moons, they're changeable material representations of things, and they're found in the imagination. The place of images is in our imagination. Let's contrast that with ideas. Ideas, I'll just use a couple examples, like justice or love or truth. They're unchanging, they're spiritual concepts, and with, with regards to our mind, they're found in the intellect. The place of ideas is the intellect. So ideas, something like justice, love, or truth, those are found in the intellect. They're spiritual concepts found in the intellect. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of details, but our, our intellect uses imagination to be in contact with the world. So you have an image of an apple, and it shakes that loose and knows what appleness is, for example. I don't want to go into all these details, but there's a connection, but just to know that. What does all this have to do with Holy Trinity Sunday? It's easy. Our imagination makes pictures. That's what it does. It makes pictures of material things. They were designed to do that. That's what they do. There's nothing wrong with that. They can't help it. That's what our imaginations do. They make pictures. Here's the problem. Today, we're going to be talking about a purely spiritual thing, the most purely spiritual. We're talking about the most blessed trinity, a purely spiritual reality, the most holy trinity. We've got to make, keep in mind that any image we make of the most holy trinity is already wrong. The Holy Trinity is not a material object. We're going to make pictures. You can't help making pictures. That's what your imagination does. But don't let the picture confuse you with your understanding, which is an intellect. Anybody that's had geometry has already struggled with it. Remember when you had geometry, you're a kid, and you're trying to learn what a geometric point is. It doesn't matter how sharp you make your pencil and keep making a dot. No matter how small that dot gets, that's still not a geometric point because a geometric point is something that doesn't have any spread in space, right? We can understand it, but every picture we make of a geometric point is always wrong. 
And we can't help making a picture of a geometric point, but after a while we get used to the idea of knowing, okay, my picture is wrong, but I still know what a geometric point is. So no matter how finely we sharpen that pencil, the geometric point can't be drawn, but it can be understood. The geometric point, the picture we have of that black dot, that's in the imagination. The understanding is in the intellect, okay? We're going to make pictures as we talk today. You can't help that. But don't let you, that picture mislead you. It's essential. It's really easy to go off the rails thinking about the most holy trinity by making pictures, you know, triangles and stuff like this. There's nothing wrong if that's a symbol. But the most holy trinity is not a triangle, not a shamrock, you know, and so forth. Those are, good, those are pictures, but that's all they are. We don't want to be at that level. That was all a long uh, prelude. That's all precaution. So whatever we're going to say, let, that's just precautionary. All right, let's turn to the topic at hand. Now, in the time we have for a sermon, it's extremely difficult to say anything meaningful about the Most Holy Trinity without falling into some heresy. Okay, so today we're going to follow St. Augustine's explanation of the mystery of the Most Holy Trinity, and I'm going to lean really, really hardly on Frank Sheed to do that. We're going to try to pack an explanation of the central mystery of our faith, the central mystery of our faith into 15 minutes, and considering the fact that we're talking about the infinite being, considering the fact that we're talking about something that takes a whole course, a semester course in seminary, just to hammer down the basic terminology, obviously we're just skimming very lightly over the surface, okay? This is not going to be really in-depth, and we're not going to be heretical. Uh, we play. Okay, today there's three terms, in order to understand what we're talking about, that we need to get a handle on. The three terms are mystery, nature, and person. We need to understand mystery, nature, and person. So mystery. When we say something is a mystery of the faith, what do we mean? Well, it's, it's easy to see uh, if we start with what we don't mean. We don't mean, well, that's a mystery without a clue. We just don't know anything about it. It's not like that. It, you know, A lot of times when people say it's a mystery, it's as if it's pointless to think about. We can't know about it. We just don't have a clue. Obviously, God doesn't decide to reveal something to us that he doesn't want us to think about. This is the central mystery of our religion, but what is it, if, if it's a mystery and he wants us to think about it, then it doesn't mean, oh, well, mystery, just let's not think about it. A mystery of the faith is something that God wants us to think about. So when we use the term mystery, when we're talking about mysteries of faith, a mystery is something God wants us to think about, or he wouldn't have told us about it. He wants us to think about it, but the point is, it has to do with something that we can never fully understand. We can never fully understand it. The point is, we can keep thinking and thinking about a mystery like the Most Holy Trinity and keep penetrating deeper and deeper into this mystery. Keep on getting more and more insights, making more connections, seeing, seeing more and more light about the whole situation. But even if we think about it for all eternity, and please God, we all will be able to, because the other option is not very good, we'll still, we'll never be able to fully grasp it. Even all eternity. Why? Because here we are, we have these little finite intellects, and we're thinking about the infinite being. We can't surround that and grasp it. It's not possible. So mystery is something that, we can, that we're supposed to think about, that we're supposed to try, wrestle with to understand, but that we can never fully understand. So it's just a question of humility to realize I don't have it all sussed up, even if I've thought about it for all eternity, okay? It's a mystery of our faith. It's a truth. And it's an inexhaustible truth we can think about forever and keep understanding more and more and never get all the details. So that's mystery. Nature. 
Imagine we're staying out in a cabin in the woods. In the middle of the night, we hear a loud crashing noise. We wonder, what is that? Is that a grizzly bear? Is it a mountain lion? What is that out there? What is that? When we ask a question like, what is that? We're asking a question about nature. A nature is a philosophical term. It means the whatness of something. That's what a nature is, the whatness of something. Fish have a fish nature. They act in a certain way. They swim and breathe water. Birds have bird nature. They are warm-blooded. They have feathers, lay eggs, and so forth. Men have human nature. We have a body and a spiritual soul. We can walk and talk and laugh and think. In ordinary language, nature answers the question, what is it or what can it do? So in ordinary language, nature answers the question, what is it and what can it do? So it determines what it is and what something can do. That's nature. Person. Now imagine we're on that cabin in the woods and we hear this noise at the door. We don't go, what is that? Is that a grizzly bear? Is that a mountain lion? We say, who's that? We already know what it is. It's someone at the door. That's why horror movies, you open up and there's no one there and they have that goofy organ music because uh, you'd be scared because everybody knows what's supposed to be there. It's supposed to be something and then they're not there. So, uh-oh, we're dealing with a nature that I wasn't expecting. When we hear a knock at the door, we go, who's there? Who? We already know what it is. We know that's somebody coming to see us and he's knocking. We know it's a human being. So we go, who's there? Who is that? Who's knocking at the door? We already know it's someone that has a human nature. So we already know what nature we're dealing with. When we ask the question, who, we're asking a question about a person. Nature determines what something is and what it can do. But a person, that's who's acting. That's who's doing this particular thing. Okay? Nature answers what it is and what it can do. A person is who is doing it. Who's doing this particular thing? Take example. Okay? We all, everyone here has human nature except, of course, the angels. But all of us here, we all have a human nature, okay? We're all different persons, all right? Who am I? I'm Father X. What am I doing here, you know? My abilities are determined by my nature, but I'm speaking. My nature is not speaking. I am speaking. Your nature is not sitting there and hopefully listening. You are listening. Your nature, because you have a human nature, you're capable of listening to things. You're capable of speaking. You're capable of thinking. But you're the person doing it. The, per, the who, that's the question of the person. Your nature gives you a sort of your performance characteristics, what you can do. But the person is the principle that's operating there, right? Okay? I'm talking. You're sitting, okay? You're breathing. Your nature isn't breathing. You're breathing. You're listening. Your nature isn't listening, okay? Speaking, thinking, laughing, all these things are possible because we have human nature. But our nature doesn't do them. We do them. One other more important point. We don't ask, who is that? When we see a strange new vegetable, we're in the produce section, of, and we go, who is that? We say, what is that? Why don't we say, who is that with a vegetable? Vegetables aren't persons. Neither are minerals or animals, okay? There's three kinds of persons. There's divine persons. God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's angelic persons. They kind of come in two flavors, good and bad. And there's human persons. Those are three kinds of persons. Persons can know and love. Rutabagas just sit there. They're not, you know, so do rocks. They are not persons. So they have a nature, but they're not persons. Persons can know and love. There's only three kinds of persons. There are only three beings that have a rational nature, okay? That's men, angels, and, of course, God. So, nature tells us what is it, what can it do, and person tells us who is it, who's actually doing it. Okay, one more time. Nature tells us what is it, what can it do, and person tells us who is it, who's actually doing it. All right? 
One more time, the mystery is an inexhaustible truth that we can never completely understand, but we can keep drawing out more and more as we contemplate it, all right? Remember, finally, too, that God is an infinite spirit, so that any picture that you're about to make of the Most Holy Trinity is automatically wrong. You can't help making the mental pictures. That's what your imagination does. It does a good job of it, but don't be misled by the picture. Just remember that the picture is wrong and penetrate through that with your understanding. All right, now let's get started. God's knowledge and his love are infinite. So if God's knowledge is infinite, what does he think about? And if his love is infinite, whom does he love? What does God think about? God has an idea. But it's only one idea. God only has one idea. He already knows everything. He hasn't forgotten anything. He's God. He only has one idea. That idea can never change. It's an eternal, unchanging idea. Since it's not possible for him to learn anything, and it's not possible for him to forget anything. God is infinite. Infinite is just a word which means no limits. He's no limits. So that means that he's only the only one infinite being there is or that ever can be. There can't be two limitless beings. One would be a limit on the other. If you don't get that right now, take it for granted. Don't go down that trail. Stay with us right now. It's important. Okay. All right. God is infinite. He has an infinite intellect. Now, the only thing that an infinite mind could ever find that would be worth thinking about would be the infinite being. What does this mean? It means that the idea that God has in his infinite mind is the idea he has of himself. And it can't change. His idea is as eternal as he is. He didn't suddenly think of it. So he has this infinite idea. It's a perfect idea of himself. It can't change, and his idea is as eternal as he is. Now, here's another extraordinary thing. The idea that God has of himself must be absolutely perfect. Why? Because he already knows everything. That means that whatever is in God must also be in his idea of himself. Whatever is in God must also be in his idea of himself. Whatever is God's idea of himself must be absolutely and exactly the same as it is in himself. Otherwise, he would not have a clear idea of himself. And that's ridiculous because he's God and he knows everything. Okay? So whatever is in God must be in his idea of himself and it must be exactly the same in his idea as it is in himself. Otherwise, God would not know everything about himself. That's crazy to think that he wouldn't. That's so much different than our idea, our kind of ideas, rather, that it's impossible to imagine. That's just a weakness of our imagination. It's impossible to imagine, but it's not impossible to understand. Now, it gets even more interesting. Any idea we might have is a thing. Our ideas are things. Our idea of a truth is a thing. 
Our idea of justice is a thing. But this is not true with God. Why not? Well, since whatever is in God must be in his idea of himself, and since it must be exactly the same in his idea as it is in himself, that means that since God can know and love, well, then his idea can know and love. Since God can know and love, his idea can know and love. In other words, his idea is not a thing. Things cannot know and love. Persons can know and love. His idea is a person. Now there's more. An idea isn't just off floating off in space somewhere, is it? Ideas just don't drift along. We don't come up with an idea and then it just sort of floats along, except in the cartoons. Ideas, a thought, is in the mind of a thinker. So this one idea of God has to be in the same identical nature as the thinker, doesn't it? Of course. So God's idea of himself is a person, but it's also in the same nature. God conceives within his own infinite nature a perfect, infinite idea, which because is an idea is completely within his nature, and because it is a perfect idea of himself completely contains his nature. In his idea, God's idea of himself is an eternal, unchanging idea. His idea is the eternal, unchanging word. The thinker is the first person in the most blessed trinity, the Father. And the idea, the word, is the second person in the most blessed trinity, the Son. So what does God think about? He thinks about himself. All right, so God thinks about himself, but whom does he love? When we have a beautiful idea, we can admire it, we can dwell on it, we can even love it, but still, it's only an idea. It's a thing. We can love our ideas, but our ideas can't return our love, can they? But as we've seen, God's idea of himself, the eternal word, is not something, but someone. His idea is a person second person, the most blessed trinity. Just as God is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love, so also his idea is absolutely, infinitely perfect and worthy of all love. And so the thinker, the father, and the word, the son, love each other with a perfect and infinite love. Each person pours himself out totally towards the other, holding nothing back. And this love that the Father and the Son have for each other is eternal, unchanging, infinite, has every perfection that they do, is a person, is someone, the third person of the Most Holy Trinity. And of course, the love that the Father and the Son have for one another totally fills their whole nature, producing a third person from all eternity, but again, this person is within the same divine nature. So the second person, the word, the son, proceeds from the father and is generated by way of the intellect. And the third person, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the father and the son by way of the will. One divine nature, totally expressed as thinker, totally expressed as word, totally expressed as love.
Three divine persons, one divine nature. What are you? A question about nature. God. Who are you? A question about person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but not three separate persons. Three distinct persons, but not three separate persons. Okay? These three persons do not share the divine nature. They do not share the divine nature. Each one possesses it totally. The Father possesses it totally. The Son possesses it totally. The Holy Spirit possesses it totally. All right? Let's review. Since God is infinite spirit, any picture you make of the Most Holy Trinity will be wrong. You can't help making mental pictures. That's what your imagination does. But we don't want to be misled there. That picture is wrong. A mystery is an inexhaustible truth which we can never completely understand, but we can keep drawing more and more out of as we contemplate it. Nature tells us what is it, what can it do. person tells us who is it, who's actually doing it. Okay? God's idea of himself, the eternal word, is a person. Just as God is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love, so also his idea is absolutely and infinitely perfect and worthy of all love. And so the Father and his idea, the Word, the Son, love each other with a perfect and infinite love. Each person pours himself out totally towards the other, holding nothing back. And this love that the Father and the Son have for each other is an eternal, unchanging, infinite person. The Holy Spirit, the third person, the most blessed trinity, the second person, the Word, the Son, proceeds from the Father and is generated by way of the intellect. And the third person, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father and the Son by way of the will. God is three distinct divine persons, but not three separate persons. And these three divine persons do not share the divine nature. Each person possesses it totally. The Father possesses it totally. The Son possesses it totally. The Holy Spirit possesses it totally. Four things to do. Pray for the light to come to a deeper understanding, not a better image, but a deeper understanding of this mystery. Two, ponder the words in the Nicene Creed, which you're about to sing. Three, ponder the words in the preface of today's Mass. And four, ponder the words in the Athanasian Creed. Let's close with a passage from the Fourth Lateran Council, 1215. Quote, we firmly believe and simply confess that there is only one true God, eternal and immeasurable, almighty, unchangeable, incomprehensible and ineffable, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one absolutely simple essence, substance, or nature. The Father is from none, the Son from the Father alone, and the Holy Spirit from both. Equally, eternally, without beginning or end, the Father generating, the Son being born, and the Holy Spirit proceeding, consubstantial and co-equal, co-omnipotent and co-eternal. And when we're in a state of grace, all this is going on in the depths of our soul.